of radio. What's going on, everybody? We are back. This is episode 162 of the Dark Windows podcast. My name is Kevin. Yeah, I'm Kevin. And uh, if you're new to the show, welcome. If um, you're old to the show, ha <laughs> ha, suckers. Welcome also. Okay, well, um, you're welcome. But That's since Kevin's it wouldn't be our show without a technical difficulty, we're starting again. <laughs> give, you, give you one guess who fucked up. Okay, it was me. I, I, I was the one. I was going to say, it's not fair for me to guess because I already know, I already know <laughs> the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you guys know, if you're up to date, last week we did a couple of badasses. And we said we were going to do Louisiana. We're going to go back on the tour. Right. Well, we're going to we go lied. close to Louisiana because my guy's from Texas. Mine's like, from Oklahoma. Like South Texas, like North Mexico, Texas, like way the fuck south. Well, mine's from, you know. So, I mean, technically, Louisiana Purchase almost. Mm. I'm just trying to justify it. Yeah, no. It was land that was stolen from the Mexicans one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, so we so we lied once again. We're um, pretty good at that, unfortunately. We are. We change our minds like we change our underwear. Well, I do. Okay, not so much Kevin because you know he's free ball. Goddamn right, dude. <laughs> Underwear so, are a form of slavery, and I don't subscribe to that shit. He says they're optional. They're not even optional. You don't have to do it at all. Oh, okay. I just well, I, I I personally choose not to because they're uncomfortable. Okay, so we strangle my nuts. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> You didn't have to say you strangle my nuts. Well, that's why I don't wear them. Okay, fine. It feels like somebody's like <laughs> They're squeezing my balls, and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. So you know what's really fun? So I've been doing a lot of drywall and grout and stuff at work. Uh huh. So my fingers are really dry. Uh-huh. And then I had two oranges when I got home. So now the side of my finger that's all crackly. Nice. It's filled uh, filled with orange skin, and it's uh, slightly yellow, and it's kind of disturbing. Interesting. It's pretty hmm. gross. So, yeah. So, as you may have guessed, or may not have, I don't know. I mean, depends on how hard you're listening to the podcast. But we what are... What is it with you listening hard? How, how do you listen hard? You can listen hard. So hard that you actually don't you know, mishear things. Because you, like, you're That's just listening. Yeah, but you could be concentrating so hard on something, you know. Like, okay, example. I was concentrating so fucking hard on listening... To um, the the EVP session that we did, not even well, no spirit box session that we did. Right. Okay. That I didn't realize that the fucking lady had you know shined the light so many times. Like I only had I don't know like fucking like three or four crossouts. So you were listening so hard that your eyes stopped working. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. I was lis- I was listening so intently to you know to that you couldn't was- see. God yes. damn, dude. Well, obviously I didn't fucking, you know, pay attention. I was listening so intently that I was, I was listening so hard I couldn't pay attention to what I was hearing. <laughs> hey, motherfucker, just because, you know, you got like fucking four brain cells and don't have, you know, sometimes, you know, don't space out. 
I mean, goddamn. Sometimes some of us space out. And we, you know. Well, in your case, it might not be spaced out. It might be the early onset case. Like, symptoms of dementia. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck off. I don't have dementia. I don't have any you're of that. You're getting there, though. I mean, like, no. you're 63 years old. No. You gotta take your Metamucil close. and shit. Not even close. But anyway. So, we're gonna cover two badasses. We, we sure are. Get back around to what we're, I was talking about. We're gonna cover two badasses this week. Because... I was like, yeah, I saw this guy on a f- on Facebook that was like a uh, one of those things that pop up, and it was like, hey, if you've never heard of this guy, you should look into him, basically. And I was like, you know what? Red, fucking maybe I will. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna fucking do it. So there, tell so, me what to do. Uh, I did Facebook. it. Facebook. Uh, well, I fucking did it, and I was like, wow, this guy. We need to talk about him. So I was like, hey, Kevin, we're not going to do uh, Louisiana. We're going to do – I'm going to do this. Okay. Kevin's like, well, I got somebody in the pipeline I already yeah. had. You know. My, he, just boilerplate badass guy, you know. Yeah. No, no big St- deal. Standard. War hero, whatever. I mean, come on. You know. Didn't just, really just do anything cool. Standard Joe Schmo. Yeah. Standard mm. issue badass. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, whatever. How Everybody's goes. heard of him, but I don't give a fuck because he – was a goddamn hero. Well, I don't even know who the fuck you're Oh, covering, you so. will. I mean, so... What's it, weird is the picture you sent me, our guys kind of look similar. Oh. Like, maybe. close enough that you could go, wait a minute. Are they twins? No, not twins. Brothers? Maybe maybe like second cousins or some mm. shit. Like, there's like possibly a family resemblance mm-hmm. there, but... Okay. You know. All right. Well, so, as of the time of recording of this podcast... September 7th, 2021. The year of our Lord. <laughs> the year of our Savior. September 7th, 2021. Will mark 54 years since one of the most decorated men in military history passed away. This man is Pascal Cletus. Hula Senior. Every time I fucking get the Cletus. Because those goddamn names just don't make sense together. Well, listen. They make sense, okay? Oh, Pascal sounds like he owns like a, like a fucking fancy like Italian restaurant. Or he's Mexican. Or he's Mexican and owns a fancy restaurant. Maybe. One way or the other, he or has Spanish. a... Spanish. Either way, of the three, he's got a pretty well manicured mustache. He doesn't have a mustache, though. So. Cletus is the guy that like swaps your tires out. Mm-hmm. The tow truck. Well, Mr. Pascal, he is none of those. He's a badass. I didn't say he wasn't. So he's saying those names don't mix. I well, water listen, and oil. That's not my choice. Okay, his father and mother you named have him. To talk about him. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm a little punchy, <laughs> but you know, hey. So he served in three wars. Uh yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Ooh, three wars. He did. So there. I have served in zero wars. That's right. But I still outrank him. I'm a civilian, so. No. Yeah, well. Yeah. He was. Technically, he <laughs> works for me. <laughs> okay. He was a citizen of the Kiowa tribe. Um, Here's a little background on the Kiowa people. They were a warrior people, originally from the northern Missouri River Basin. The Kiowa traveled to the Black Hills in present-day Wyoming and South Dakota. 
The invading Cheyenne pushed the Kiowa tribe south until the Sioux forced them westward into the Great Plains. Obtaining a vast portion of central and southern Great Plains, the Kiowa and Comanche tribes formed a mutual defense alliance. Now, when you say traveled, do you mean traveled or quote-unquote traveled? Like, what do you mean quote-unquote traveled? Like they traveled, but it wasn't like they were going on vacation. It was more like, hey, get the fuck out of here or we're going to kill all of you. Kind of traveled. No, they traveled. Second one. Okay. Yeah. First one more like. So they migrated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't a forced migration like it is most of the time when it comes yeah. to Native, Native Americans. I mean, they're, they're you know, I mean, they, they were, they traveled to the Black Hills, but that's because they, you know, that's where they had been, but then they were pushed away. You know, and then pushed again. Well, it wasn't like, you know, William Tecumseh Sherman when he traveled to the ocean, you know. No. Well. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it was kind of more like that. Yeah. yeah. They traveled, yes. Yeah. Um. So, eventually the Kiowa and other tri- American, Native American tribes formed an alliance, alliances to resist and, and stem the encroachment of the, what's... It says Eastern civilizations, but it's it's white people. That's white people talk for white yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, the Battle of Adobe Walls in Texas during June of 1874 was the quote-unquote last protest for the proud tribes of the Kiowa, Comanche, and Cheyenne peoples. Uh, reservation life gradually took hold. The true meaning took hold of them. Um, so the true meaning of the word Kiowa has actually been lost to time in history. But the Kiowa called themselves the Cayugu or the Gaigua. G-A-I-G-W-U. Okay, I'll pronounce it. God damn, I'll spell it. Um, which means chief people or principal people. Um, they're broken up into six warrior societies. And they are the Pulan Yopi, which are the little rabbits, the Adel Dao Yopi, which are the young sheep, um, and then the Taisan Tamnom, who are the horse headesses. Uh, I don't know. Um, and then there's the. Tidin Pei Ga, which are the Gord Society. <laughs> uh, and then there's the Adult Society, Adult Warrior Society, called the Tankon Ga, which are the Black Legs or Leggings. The four Adult Warrior Societies elected um, the most, the ten most elite warriors of all the Kiowa. Um, the Kotisenko, which are the principal dogs or real dogs. Um, so those are what they're they're called. Now, if there was a principal dog or a real dog, well, it would be Pascal. He was sounds like yeah a badass, and he was the man. So Pascal was born to Ralph Pula Senior and Minnie. Uh, Boy, Moni Tachi, 
Tatichi Tat. Yeah. Bonti. B O I N T Y. Tamagotchi Bone Teddy. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was better than the last one I came up with, at least. <laughs> Bonacucci? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever the hell it was. Bonatichi? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Anyway. It was so long. Like It was like 17 minutes ago. I don't Something remember. Something <laughs> close to that. So, on January 29th of 1922, in Apache County, Oklahoma, Pascal Cletus Pula was born. Uh, he was the grandson of the famous soldier uh, Kiwa George. Ki- uh, Ki- uh, what you fucking Kiowa George, who served in all Indian. Uh, in, in, I'm sorry, who served in the all Indian U.S. Army Cavalry Troop One at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Okay, Pula married. A woman of Apache lineage named Irene Kapala, Kalpa, sorry, Kalpa. Irene, Irene Kalpa, on March fifteenth of nineteen forty. The couple had four sons. All four children served in the military. Three of them served in Vietnam. Damn. In nineteen forty-two, Pula enlisted in the army and joined his father and two brothers in World War Two. Holy fuck, dude. <laughs> um, this is where he would receive the first of his medals. It was the first medal was on September 8th, 1944. Pula Pascal's first star, silver star. A portion of the citation reads While acting in, this, in support of a rifle company, Sergeant Pula displaced his machine gun squad forward across an open field under heavy mortar in small arms fire in such a manner as to affect a minimum number of casualties among his squad. After reaching his new position, Sergeant Pula saw the enemy advance in a strong counterattack. Standing unflinchingly in the face of withering machine gun fire for five minutes, he hurled hand grenades until the enemy force sustained numerous casualties and was dispersed. Due to Sergeant Pula's actions, many of his comrades' lives were saved, and the company was able to continue the attack and capture strong, strongly defended enemy positions. So, that's his World War II action. Okay. Well, after World War II was done, Pascal would stay in the military. As you do. And he would... I mean, some don't. Some. Well, no, but when, when there's people that need to die and you're the person to make them die... Yeah. You do it. Well, he would then be sent to combat in Korea. Oh, Jesus. When that war broke out. Or now, police action. That's a war that doesn't get nearly as much attention as it should. It does not. Because nobody really gives a fuck about the Korean War. They kind of forget that it happened. It's like, World War Two. Then we went to Vietnam. No, no. We spent uh, about a better part of a decade in Korea first fighting the Chinese. Yeah. Uh, and the Koreans, I guess. But a lot of the Chinese. Mm-hmm. So, his second Silver Star he was awarded for was on September 19th, 1950. Um, this was his citation, citation that was, you know, why he wa- was awarded it. When the company attacked, when the company attacked on an enemy position was halted by stiff enemy resistance, Sergeant First Class Pula volunteered to lead his squad in an assault courageously leading his men 
in a charge up the slope to penetrate the enemy per- uh, perimeter Ooh. and engage the numerically superior enemy in a fierce hand-to-hand combat. Sar- First Sergeant... I'm Sergeant, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Courageously leading his men in a charge up the slope to penetrate the enemy perimeter and engage the numerically superior enemy in a fierce hand-to-hand combat. Sergeant First Class Pula inspired his men to hold their position until the remainder of the company was able to seize the objective. So, then we move ahead a full year. Almost a full year. April 4th of 1951 is when he receives his third star. Now, how many how many silver stars do you have to get to trade him into a Medal of Honor? <laughs> uh, none, because he <laughs> doesn't get it. That kind of sucks. So, it's like going to the one... arcade. You're like, I won these three. I want the bear. You don't have enough for the bear. Well, I want the fucking bear. You're not. I threw my the... goddamn shoulder out playing skee ball. I'm sorry, sir, but you're not. And getting then the... I... no, you're not getting the fucking bear. I don't care how many fucking tickets you did. I don't care how many tours you did. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like, speak to the manager. You mean the president? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're fucking fuck. somebody. I'm sorry, but you have to speak to the manager on this one. Get him. I know he doesn't know where the fuck he is at the moment, but get him. Well, that that's not the man, that's not the manager that's on charge this time. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> this one was slightly less incompetent. So, yeah. at this time, he was serving with Company C of the Twenty Seventh Infantry Regiment, Twenty Fifth Infantry Division, near Kangoni, Korea, while attacking strong hostile positions. One. Squad of Master Sergeant Pula's platoon was immobilized by devastating automatic weapons and mortar barrage. Exposing himself to the deadly fire, he slowly advanced across open terrain, firing his rifle as he progressed. By deliberately diverting the attention of the foe to himself, he enabled his men to maneuver to more advantageous positions. Master Sergeant Pula's very uh, valorous actions were instrumental in the funda- uh, fundamental... I'm sorry. Master Sergeant Pula's valorous actions were instrumental in the fulfillment of the unit and are in keeping with the highest traditions of the American soldier. His bravery, bravery during the Korean War earned Pascal a battlefield commission to second lieutenant. He would actually later resign his commission to NCO. Yeah, he didn't want to be a. He wanted to be a stay in NCO. Well, there's a reason. Okay, there's a reason. But also, this this is a point in time where that's no bullshit because like they were still fighting with with Garands and shit. Like this is pre. Everybody gets an M16 times. Yeah, well, this was. There's a reason why he resigned his commission. Well, we'll get to that. So. He would actually continue to serve the mil- in the military until 1962 when he would retire as right. a second lieutenant. Which he hated. But that wasn't for long because one of his sons would be sent to a little another war police action called Vietnam. I'm pretty sure you're going to refer to that one as a war because that was. Eh, but it was a police action. His son, Pascal Cletus Pula Jr. 
was drafted to Vietnam or sent to Vietnam because right. he was in the military. Uh, Pascal Jr. came into contact with a, with a mine and his right leg was badly injured. So bad that he actually had to have it amputated below the knee. Then another of Pascal's sons was called up uh, to be sent to Vietnam. And it was his son, Lindy. Well, Sr. tried to keep Lindy out of the war zone. So what he did was to try to do this was actually re-enlisting in the army. And volunteering to go to Vietnam. Oh, so he went full on like Top Sims here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You killed my kid. I'm going to fucking kill you. So by this time, Pascal was already 45 years old. And regrettably, the day before, he actually was ready to leave the West Coast for his third war. Lindy had actually already been sent to Vietnam. Oh, balls. I was and, hoping he was going to switch spots with him. Pull like, uh, remember that movie, The Benchwarmers? <laughs> Where they they bring that Puerto Rican guy to pitch? Mm. <laughs> yep. It's a note. I am 12 with a $100 bill in it. <laughs> so Welcome, Lindy. Uh, you haven't aged well, but hey, go get him, Tiger. <laughs> Thanks. So he was assumed to follow his son, and he gave up his rank as second lieutenant in the U.S. Army a promotion he earned during the Korean War so that he could serve in the field in combat. He was hoping to serve with his son to protect him, but that wasn't right. the case. So so he was like made like officially a second lieutenant because I know that a yeah. lot of the time during like during a war if, if you, you get, get promoted commission. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay, so he was like full blown. Yeah. Because he stayed in the military. He was uh, in the military. Okay, that makes sense then. Okay. So um he, however, would only serve four months in Vietnam before um, his fatal combat operation. Oh, damn, dude. In a letter he wrote just before his death, Pula said that he rated his job as being more important than his life. So here's the account that earned him his fourth Silver Star. This was in Vietnam. On November 7th, 1967, uh, while serving with Company C, 26th Regiment, 1st Infantry Division, during Operation Shenandoah 2. <laughs> Shenandoah 2. Yes. Hillbilly Boogaloo. <laughs> you got it. 1st <laughs> Sergeant Pula was accompanying his unit on a two-company search and destroy mission near Loch Nin. Oh, uh, fuck. Um, as the patrol was moving through a rubber plantation, they were subjected to sniper fire. Yeah, no shit. Like, locked in was fucking bad in Vietnam. Within well, within, none of it was good, but, no. you know. Within minutes, the area was raked with intense Claymore mine, uh, rocket, small arms, and automatic weapons fire from a numerically superior Viet Cong force. Yeah. First Sergeant Pula unhesitatingly ran to to lead the squad, which was receiving the brunt of the enemy fire. With complete disregard for his personal safety, he exposed himself to assist in employing the men in establishing an effective base of fire. Although wounded, he continued to move 
about the area, encouraging his men and pulling casualties to cover. He was uh, assisting a wounded man to safety when he was mortally wounded by a Viet Cong by Viet Cong fire. Dickheads. The the battle at Loch Ninh was Pula's fourth silver was when he won his first fourth silver star and third purple heart. Fucking hell. The battle also saw uh, a recipient of the Medal of Honor, two distinguished services service crosses, and one silver star recipient. First sergeant uh, and uh, and proud Kiowa Kiowa soldier, a warrior, Pascal Pula, the most decorated Native American in U.S. history, U.S. sorry military history, um, is one of very few men to wear the combat infantry badge with two stars. Jesus. Among his forty-two medals and citations, combat infantry badge with two stars. The Distinguished Service Cross, Silver Star with three oak leaf clusters, Bronze Star, br- I'm sorry, Bronze Star with a V device, which stands for Vietnam, right, and four oak leaf clusters, Army Commendation Medal with a V device, and two oak leaf clusters, and a purple and the Purple Heart with two oak leaf clusters. Um. <clears throat> He actually has a hall named after him, where his great his grandfather served at Fort Sill. That's pretty awesome, Oklahoma. Uh, it's called Pula Hall, uh, which in- includes an exhibit to honor his Kiowa warrior bravery. He was inducted into the American Indian Hall of Fame uh, in uh, an. On a Darko, Oklahoma, and his name is commemorated on the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C. Okay, so the hair on my arms is standing up. Yep. I had no idea who the fuck this guy was. The guy that I'm talking about was the fucking Medal of Honor recipient. <laughs> oh, wow. I shit you not. That's, that's... Huh, okay. That's fuck. That's fucking crazy. Anyway... Wow. Dude, I just got fucking huh. chills. <laughs> uh, so, in her eulogy at Pula's funeral at the Fort Sill Post Cemetery, which is where he is buried. What What was the day of his battle? Was it uh, um, May 2nd, 1968? Uh, what? Hold on. The uh, day he was killed? 67. Okay, so it's not the same person. I lied. No. Same place, though. Okay. Fuck, that would have been way crazier. Still, Damn. Same same time. Yeah. So uh so anyway, um So in her eulogy to her husband, Irene echoed the what you know, sentiments of him being a great warrior with a with this quote. He was his follow follow he has followed the trail of the great chiefs. His people told him in Hold him in honor, in the highest esteem. He has given his life for the people and the country he loved so much. Goddamn right. So that is Pascal Cletus Pula Sr. Nice. The man, the myth, the fucking legend. The man that should have probably got a medal of fucking honor. No, I mean, I'm sorry, but when you stand up... And you're like, come on, boys, come on. 
I mean, you're cheering, you're you're pushing your man on. I'm getting the, I'm like fucking like, uh, I'm 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 getting kind of like a like a a vibey feeling off of this because when I know another guy that did the same exact thing and he got the Medal of Honor for it. Who? Winners. He he encouraged his men on. That was different though. Yeah, but he did. This guy is just doing the same exact thing. Right. Fighting. I mean, in putting his body into into harm's way. I get that. I mean, it was a different war. I know. That was a war where we're like, fuck yeah, everybody was behind it except for you know the guys that were like, and eh, yeah. maybe the Nazis ain't that bad, but they're you know shit bags. Um, but I mean, Vietnam was not. But is, I mean, I would say that. I mean, when you're exposing yourself with you know in in having total disregard for your own safety you're pulling men away you know saving guys lives pulling them back mm-hmm. and you don't get the fucking medal of honor i mean yeah you get the silver star which is damn near close well the the thing is is like the other thing is between the medal of honor and the silver star is there has to be more documentation, like witness things for the Medal of Honor, which I, you know. Or it could be just because he was um, Native American. Well, that's know. not necessarily true because my guy wasn't white either. Oh. And, you know. So um, before we end off with uh, with Mr. Pula here, um, I actually had found uh, a site that... Uh, it's a, a virtual wall of Vietnam veterans. Oh, awesome. And people can actually, like, write on it. Uh, and um, there was, let's see, um, there, was, there was a couple that I, I, I wanted to read. So this was from, from uh, November 24th of 2005. And this was from a guy that actually had uh, served with Pula. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shortly after first sergeant at the time, Pula was assigned to the, to the company. I began to understand what it meant to be the first sergeant. He appeared to never sleep, constantly checking the line, giving words of encouragement and putting a boot in the butt when he knew it was needed. I rotated back to the States in October and all the soldiers that I came in contact with over the years, he, uh, his is the name I will never forget. When uh, when I was selected for a sergeant major, I paid a visit to the wall in my first and left my first sergeant uh, chevrons at the base of the panel bearing his name. It was his teaching that helped me grow from a gangly boy of nineteen to a man. I will always honor his memory. That's awesome. Uh, gentleman was uh, Norris W. Ridgeway. And then that's uh, a fucking name right there. Yeah. <laughs> and then this one was uh, left. From, uh, on uh, 14 March 20, uh, 2006. Since I joined Charlie Company in mid-October 1967, having been transferred up from Alpha uh, 228, 1st Sergeant Pula and Captain Len Tavernetti assigned me to the November Platoon, November Platoon, which is the 3rd Platoon. 1st okay. uh, Sergeant Pula and Robert Stryker were like two cats damn, going after yeah, I know. Fuck Robert Stryker? That's some like action hero shit. Yeah. 
uh, were like two cats going after each other off and on. Stryker had the ability to make Pula mad, and Pula would threaten to uh, catch him and tarn feather him. Fucking scalp. <laughs> it was so funny to watch. As long as we all stayed out of uh, their little battles. First Sergeant Pula was a master psychologist, whether he would admit it or not. He knew how to motivate his men. He was a he was able to mix. I'm sorry. He was able to maximize effort with his orders and to ensure that the job not only got done but was done correctly. There were many a teary-eyed grunt as we carried his body over to the LZ. Some of the men who knew him well were very upset. We had lost not only a good leader but an inspirational one as well. Every once in a while, we would catch him smiling at it as he talked about the Charlie Company men. On November 6th, he, uh, we landed in, the, in a LZ at the, on top of a, a big hill. We all joked it was a hot LZ, and it was. They didn't have many that weren't yeah. during Vietnam. Not because of incoming fire, but the fact that the gunships had come in shooting on the first lift and set the elephant grass on fire. It was probably 90-plus degrees as well. First, and fucking swamp. Yeah. yeah. First Sergeant Pulau was directing the incoming supply loads in addition to assisting the setup of our uh, Doblo bunkers, Doble bunkers, well, with interlocking fire slots. He uh, made sure we got extra engineer stakes for the uh, command group so that their bunker would have sufficient over overhead cover in case of mortar fire. You see, <laughs> you gotta keep you gotta keep the the brass safe. Yeah. You know, you see, he had a hunch. This was a bad AO, which is area of operation. Yeah, the entire fucking country was. Yeah. But with a know. twinkle in his in his eyes, he told us on the detail that quote good job men you've worked hard like an 1850s cavalry soldier he died with his boots on like a native american he went down with honor trying to help his fellow soldiers may he and striker continue their personal verbal bouts up in the heavens this was from uh Bob Morris. I was going to say cuz you know that him and that striker guy as much as they were like fucking nagging at each other and just you know that they were, like, the best of buddies. They had to have been. Oh, yeah. Have that kind of relationship where you're just like, no, fuck you. You know? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um. So, yeah. So. Ah. Okay. Stryker was the one to get to Medal of Honor. Okay. Yeah. We were close. Same place 365-ish days later. I'm pretty sure that was, uh. And funny thing is, um, he didn't get to see it. I'd bet he is not too far away from us. Really? Yeah. They're born over in uh, Auburn, New York. No shit. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. All right. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, that is Mr. Pula. Excellent. So we want to take a break now, and uh... I think I think it'd be fitting to take a break, yeah, and uh, come back. Uh, so we will be right back. 
guess what? We're back. So, um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, um, mine takes place in Vietnam also. Had no fucking idea. We have no idea. We, when we do these episodes, we don't tell each other who the other one's doing. No. So that the one time we go to do this, we're both going to do the same one. It'd be like, what the fuck? And it'll just be a full episode about him. Um, but uh, very, very rarely do we accidentally land in the same conflict. Um, so No, we usually don't. No. So the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War lasted from April 24th, 1965 until January of 1973. That was a sizable war. Um, at that point in time, I believe Vietnam was the longest war that we had been involved in. Up until yeah. recently. Uh, in that roughly eight-year span, 962,303 medals would be awarded to service personnel of the uh, U.S. Armed Forces. So a breakdown of that, there's 719,969 bronze stars, which are the... It's like a step below the silver star. 21,634 silver stars, which is essentially your step down from your Medal of Honor. Um, the big one was 220,527 Purple Hearts. Um, obviously awarded for being wounded or killed in combat. There was 235 Medals of Honor awarded during the Vietnam War. Um, and one of them went to this guy. There was also an estimated 1,353,000 total casualties between both sides, including civilians. That's a fucking huge number. Just an ungodly amount of dead and wounded. I mean, obviously, you can make an argument that the U.S. really didn't need to be in Vietnam. Well, fuck no. And we pretty much only went there because there was communism and the French sucked at war. The French got their asses So beat. we took over. So we were like... You know, I think we could win this. Yeah, no. I think we could. No, we we couldn't. This was a this was the beginning of the of of a well, maybe not the beginning, but the beginning stages of a losing run at war for us. And this was actually uh if I'm not mistaken, Vietnam was the switchover for cavalry from horse to Helicopter. Helicopter. Well, because they didn't have helicopters during the Civil War. Or else we, I sure as shit would have used them. No, I'm talking like Korea. Like Korea. They, they well, they had helicopters help. in Korea also, but I think they were more just like medevac kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, they weren't, you know. They were also weren't doing shit on horseback in Korea, though. Um, I guess. Hmm. Even though there was technically a cavalry unit in uh, the beginning of the Afghan thing that we did. Hmm. But it's neither here nor there. Well, different cavalry. I mean, they weren't on horseback. Oh, no, they were. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Thor did a movie about it. Um, so pretty much like any conflict between countries, you're going to have your good guys and bad guys on both sides. There's plenty of guys in Vietnam that did some deplorable shit. Uh, most notably the My Lai Massacre, which was uh, March 16th, 1968. Yeah where uh, U.S. troops entered the village of My Lai and slaughtered anywhere between 300 and 450 unarmed civilians, mostly women and children. Good job, boys. Um, that whole thing would have gone undocumented had it not been for 
the helicopter pilot that was supposed to pick them up that they had called for an extraction. He kind of hovered around and saw what was going on and went, now, fuck you guys. And he radioed it back in and just hovered above them. They sent another helicopter out with some higher ups and they basically arrested these dickheads. None of them did any time for it though. So they weren't even fucking like dishonorably discharged for the most part. Stupid. But that one guy just going, nah, this is bad. I'm going to stay here. Fuck you guys. That's a hero. (laughs) But we're not going to talk about bad guys or dickheads. We're going to talk about, uh, well, we're going to talk about a bad guy, but like Michael Jackson bad. Who's bad? His name was Raul Roy Perez Benavidez. Okay, first off. (laughs) All right. You picked on me for my fucking guy's name. Roy was his nickname. Yes, but Ro- no. I mean, come on. But those are all from the same place. Those all make sense. Roy is just the nickname. Raul Perez Benavidez, all Spanish. All right, fine. See, fair enough. Fair. So he was born in Lindau, Texas, which is near Cuero, Texas. Um, on his father's side of the family, he is Mexican and a descendant of the founders of Benavidez, Texas. Hence the name of the town. You know. Okay. On his mother's side, he was a Yaki Indian. Uh, He was one of eight children that his father, Salvador, and his mother, Teresa, would have. Um, They raised them all on their small family farm. And uh, Roy didn't have a real easy life from the get-go. When he was about two years old, his father died of tuberculosis. And then at seven, his mother died of the same thing. Shitty. So he lost both parents within seven years from tuberculosis. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this was not, this was in the the fucking, like, 30s, 40s. We'd kind of had it, you know, nipped for there almost, but not quite close enough for them. We don't still have TB nipped in the butt. Well, no, because it keeps mutating. People are still dying from it. Right, but also because it, it mutates so easily. And people are dying from it more now because of COVID. Yeah. Are you sure they're not dying more of COVID because of tuberculosis? <laughs> no, it's because they can't get the treatments and stuff. Yeah, you have a, you had a hair like stuck to your lip. I was gonna say you had a hair lip, but that's not. No, no. So after the deaths of his parents, Roy and his run, uh, hmm. runger, runger. Yes. <laughs> well, I got younger and his brother's name ah. together. Um, so after the deaths of his parents, uh, Roy and his younger brother Roger were sent to uh, El Campo to live with his grandfather aunt and eight cousins so they were the they were the two youngest of the boys so the rest of them have kind of okay you know grown up moved on whatever uh so roy was a really hard-working kid growing up um started off shining shoes at bus stations where he was refer he was routinely referred to and i am so goddamn sorry as quote a dumb mexican um and as he got older and stronger he would work on, you know, on the farm with his uh, with his grandfather, and eventually he would move, like, spend some summers in Colorado working at another relative's farm. Um, the dumb Mexican comments definitely followed him throughout his life, um, but if anybody had really taken the time to get to know this guy, they would have known that his family hasn't lived in Mexico in generations. He is like a fourth generation American, like his family has been here. A long-ass time. Yeah. But, you know. Stereotypes. Yeah. Fucking white people. <laughs> Actually, not just white people. 
others do that as well. But, you know, and that just kind of kind of leads into the, the point of, you know, everybody thinks that everybody's got it so bad and everything's so racist now. It ain't fucking nothing compared to what it was. No. When was the last time we actually like had an active fucking lynch mob running around somewhere, stringing people up? Mm. Long time. I don't know. You know, but it's not like 50s, it's six, 50s, 60s. right. But every you know, oh, this is the worst time to live. No, it's not. Shit was way worse back then. Yeah. And this is only back into the fifties, and shit was worse then. Yeah, of you know, course. But you know, it's the worst now. Um. Uh, so Roy would actually end up dropping out of school in the seventh grade to uh, spend more time working and try to help his, you know, help and support his family. And in 1952, he joins the Texas National Guard, where he served for three years before joining the full-blown army. So he would marry his girlfriend, Hilaria Coy, C-O-Y, not K-O-I. Hilaria. Hilaria. That's a pre- actually a pretty name. I like that. It's like, uh, I think it's like Spanish Hillary almost. I kind of like it. Um, So they got married in 1959, shortly before he took off to go do airborne training. So he would go uh, join one of the most prestigious and distinguished infantry units in U.S. history, the 82nd Airborne Division. The 82nd doesn't get the same recognition as like the 101st. Because you know, HBO and shit. Well, let's 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 put well, it in perspective, though. The eighty second was actually there, and actually was one of the yeah. other ones that actually fucking was like, yeah, go fuck yourselves. We don't need those fucking tanks. Yeah, you can go fuck off. Exactly. So the eighty second was de- uh, was established August fifth of nineteen seventeen at Camp Gordon in Georgia. So. A fucking airborne division at a time where we barely had airplanes. Yeah. Figure that one out. Yep. So it's like, what are you going to do? Fly up into the fucking air and jump out of the goddamn thing and just let it, you know, like they were all made of fucking plywood and rubber bands back then anyway. So it would have cost you 40 bucks a guy. Um, so one of the first big operations they were involved in was when they joined uh, General John Pershing on the Western Front during World War One as part of the American Expeditionary Force. They were involved in the initial invasion of Italy and Sicily, where they parachuted into Salerno on September 13th, 1943. And on June 6th, 1944, they took part in Operation Neptune or D-Day for anybody, you know, where these guys were another division that dropped in behind enemy lines in Normandy. But because HBO didn't say anything about this, nobody really, you know, whatever. This uh, this was the largest airborne assault in history until August 2nd, when the 82nd would again be involved during the invasion of, of uh, the Netherlands as part of Operation Market Garden. Yep. And that was, uh, oh my God, I can't even remember how many guys, how many guys dropped in for that. I got to find out because that's, oh, okay. So for Operation Market Garden between the... 101st, the 82nd, and the 1st Airborne Divisions, there was 34,600 paratroopers that fell from the sky into a tiny little town in the Netherlands. Um, the 
there was a, oh holy shit there was another 20,000 troops that came in by glider that landed in the fucking fields <laughs> that's got to be a rough landing cuz you are literally you know literally landing in a wooden box with wings on it just fucking slamming into ripping up all their fucking tulips and stuff and how many of those fucking clogs flying died everywhere and shit. oh jesus christ broken legs twisted ankles you got fucked up in those things yeah, i'm not i'm not talking about just you know Landing all awkwardly. I'm talking about getting shot at. Oh, you're fucking right. You were lucky if you landed awkwardly. I mean, even the well, the people that jumped out of the fucking, you know. Yeah, they still planes, like, yeah. fucking the shit blasted out of them, too. Um, so they, w- they would also be involved in one of the most intense battles of World War II, the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, one of the coldest fucking. Fucking A. One of the coldest battles ever. Yeah. So, on December 20th, they would take the town of Chanel, uh, enforce the Waffen-SS division out of the town. Um, and that was no small feat, because the Waffen-SS were not just... The Waffen were the... This this wasn't fucking, you know, Heinrich Schmo off the street that they just drafted. These were bad motherfuckers. Yeah, the Waffen were, like, the elite. Yeah, it was, it was the German version of the Rangers at the time. Yeah, they were they were fucking hardcore. Yep. Um, so yeah, well, just, they were the version of themselves, really. Well, you you know what I mean, just to compare. Yeah, well, I'm saying they were the version of themselves because they were, you know, the 82nd Airborne were the Rangers. Yeah. You know, so yeah. No, no, I'm saying the Waffen SS were like the like the German equivalent of the Rangers at the time. Well, no, but I, yeah, but I'm saying the Airborne those. 82nd oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were they were Rangers. Rangers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, because they had to do so much jumping out of a plane and yada, yada. So, I mean, but yeah, they were they were basically the Waffen SS and the 82nd were like, were the same. <laughs> and I, I love like all the stories of these guys that joined the Airborne Division during World War II. They're like, I didn't do it because I wanted to jump out of planes. I did it because it was $20 extra a month. <laughs> yeah. More fucking money. It was all for the money, baby. <laughs> You know, uh, 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 like, what do you do with a fucking $20 bill now? Nothing. Three gallons of gas. These guys jumped out of goddamn airplanes and shot Nazis in the face for an extra 20 bucks a month. Yep. <laughs> I got to work an extra hour and 20 minutes to do that. I don't have to shoot at anybody. Sometimes it might be fun, but, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, to have an extra 20, you know, extra butt mud, more money in your pocket? pocket. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Benavidez would do his first tour in Vietnam in 1965. Um, 1965, pretty rough year for the U.S. Uh, took about 184,314 casualties total in the year. Not great. Um, Benavidez was one of them. Um, he was there as an advisor. Uh, they were out kind of just, you know, walking and, you know, surveying the land. And he had the bad luck of stepping on a landmine. And uh, obviously landmines do what they do, and it blew him the fuck up. Yep. They evacuated him back stateside. Uh, he was admitted to uh, Brook Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, because he was based out of Texas. So they sent him somewhere closer so that his wife could be could be there, you know. Because, you know, the Army, I don't know if they still do stuff like that, but they used to. To be yeah. like, yeah, you know. No, they send you to Walter Reed and then, and then some other little Well, places. here's the thing, though. Being sent to Walter Reed is kind of not a bad thing because it's a great hospital. Yeah. I mean, you're first sent to, like, 
Uh, depends on where you are. I mean, like now, like my brother got sent to. I think it was like Rammstein. Well, yeah, but that's and then I mean that's where you get sent really is Rammstein, and then you get sent over to Walter Reed or somewhere. Well, I mean, they weren't going to send him to Germany first. That's just fucking back across the other side. Well, that was also kind of before we had a lot of military bases in Germany because it was maybe like divided. At that point, well, I mean, we did. there wasn't quite a wall there yet, I don't think, but there was definitely some shit going on. No, well, there wasn't a wall per se. It was more like it wasn't a physical wall. There, there was, was an emotional wall. <laughs> well, no, no, there was, uh, there was, there was like a barrier. Like you know, I think it was uh, fencing and stuff yeah. on either side. A bunch of red balloons and stuff. Um, my, I mean, nearly a hundred was... of them, if I remember. No, no, not no. <laughs> My my brother, my dad actually was there during the wall. I really, I wish your dad had done some shit there because I would have loved to listen to him talk about just choking commies out. That would fucking awesome. Uh, that'd be funny. So, so he uh, gets sent back stateside because he got fucking. He got blown the fuck up. He got injured. Injured is not even the word for it. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, if he goes back... Then... Well, he he got blown up good. Uh, medical staff there were like, hey, so have you ever used a wheelchair? Because you're about to for the rest of ever. Um, you know, step on a landmine. Probably not going to work out for you in, in the best. Yes, his reaction is, ha, fuck you, yeah. basically. So these guys hadn't met Roy Benavidez yet. Uh, <laughs> so when the doctors and nurses would leave his room for the night, he would start... And from what I've listened to his interviews, like, I'd start wiggling. I'd wiggle my toes, wiggle my feet till I could feel everything. And then he would use his elbow and his chin, and he'd push himself up and across the bed towards the wall and then force himself to sit up in bed. And he would sit up against the wall all night until they came in. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, I'm not going to stay here. I mean, I got shit to do. <laughs> so they'd get him back in bed, and the next day they'd come in and be like, okay, he's doing it again. So he was motivated not just by the fact that he wanted to go back and, and kill Vietnamese. Um, Let's be honest. He didn't call them Vietnamese. He called them gooks. He probably did call them. Uh, yeah, he probably called them gooks. He did. Let's, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, a guy that dealt I mean, with this much racism, he probably, yes, no, he, he definitely called them gooks. I mean, I don't want to be like, you know, that guy, but to be like, use that. He won't go, go kill zipperheads. <laughs> I don't want to use that language, but I mean, you know, that, that's what they call them, and that's what he probably did call them. This is my friend. It's his birthday. Happy birthday, Zipperhead. Um, so he was also motivated by patriotism, which uh -huh. yeah. fucking eagle scream in the background. There's just an eagle hanging out and is like right outside of his thing like, get up, bitch. You got this. You know, probably got a fucking eye patch and shit on because, yeah. you know. If fucking Sergeant, if, if fucking Toy, you know, gets out of fucking jail and he gets, you know, or I'm calling jail, which is hospital. Yeah. He leaves. I mean, and Garnier leaves. Come on, you can leave too. Well, so he the the patriotism angle of it was he was seeing how these guys that were coming back home were being treated, uh -huh. and he was getting it himself when he would get his little free time to go out on the yard and be out in this chair. And the fact that he was a minority didn't really help. No. Because they're like, oh, you are you were fighting in Vietnam and you're Mexican? Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. The U.S. kind of sucked back then. 
Yeah, mean, everybody thinks being, that it, we still do, but not nearly as much. Being called a baby killer. Yeah. Well. All that. Um, so he, then he's, you know, they turn the TV on for him, and he's seen all the war protests and people burning flags. And it wasn't the protests that bothered him, from what he said. It wasn't even the flag burning them that bothered him. It was watching these guys that are being sent against their will in some cases to a hot fucking jungle, swampy piece of shit chunk of land to be killed or just have the shit kicked out of them and then come back and get spit on in the streets. Yeah. That bothered him. Understandably, if you're a normal human being, it would probably bother you too. Oh, because I mean, you know, you, you're going doing something that, you know, you don't exactly want to do. No. But, you know... What's it's either that or well, in a lot of cases, it was that or you go to jail, yeah, because you had a criminal record, yeah. I mean, no, or you didn't have a criminal record, you just you went to jail because you know, dodging the draft is well, but sometimes dodging the draft can get you to be president, so <laughs> I guess, or you know, three minuscule purple hearts gets you like nominated to run for president, but. Okay. Yeah, we can't all be John Kerry. That's fine. <laughs> so after a little, like, little less than a year after he is blown up in Vietnam, he's got his feet back on the ground and he is walking. And he walks his ass right out of the hospital. And, a, less than a year after he's blown and, up. And right back to Vietnam? Uh-huh. Well, quick stop. <laughs> oh. Went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, trained with a newly developed super elite group. Um... The Military Assistance Command, Vietnam, more commonly known as MACV, these were some bad motherfuckers. This was like Delta before Delta happened. Okay. Basically. These were the guys that went into places where, well, let me just get into it. They technically didn't exist. Well, Delta was around during this time. Right. Well, this this was like Delta adjacent. Okay. Um, or they were... Prelude to Delta. Somewhere in that neighborhood. So these guys, we, we need to do an episode just on MACV themselves because some of the stories that come out of there are fucking wild. Um, they carried out some pretty heavy-duty guerrilla warfare in Vietnam, and they maybe or maybe didn't, but completely and totally did go over into Cambodia and chase the North Vietnamese there. When they would go there, even though we weren't technically supposed to go there, so we technically didn't, Listen, these guys did. That's a lie. Whatever. That's we uh, a farce. We, we were weren't never, at war with Cambodia. We never, ever went to Cambodia. We didn't, but they did. <laughs> I'm talking United States. No, no. Like, again, we didn't, they did. Different. <laughs> oh. Completely different. Because oh. these are the guys that if they had been caught in Cambodia... And like the news, like the news got a hold of it. They're like, "Yeah, there's a bunch of fucking dudes in like military fatigue speaking English." The military have been like, "Fucking noabla, uh, never seen them." Sorry, I don't know who the fuck you are. Yeah, never seen these guys. Never they must be of some them. of them militia types. Yeah, because that's exactly what they would have done, and they would have left them there. Yep. To get fucking poked with bamboo sticks in a cage or something. Yeah. You know. So. Um, <laughs> Charlie, gonna get you. <laughs> yeah getting glass rods shoved up their dick holes and smashed you know boilerplate shit for the Viet Cong. they weren't real nice well why did i just kind of just instantly go uh major pain <laughs> i can't feel my legs <laughs> that's because you didn't got none <laughs> choo choo <laughs> uh, uh, he was bam 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 
bam, bam. <laughs> I don't know why I just went. Unless you flip up on your hands and walk to the next town, you ain't going to make it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I love that movie. Uh, anyway. So these guys were essentially uh, like the boogeyman force for the, the Viet Cong. Uh-huh. I mean, they weren't technically supposed to be doing what they were doing, but they did because technically they were told to. Whatever. Um, so they would be involved in operate, and some of these operations are fucking awesome. Operation Steel Tiger, which sounds like a Tom Clancy book. Um, Operation Tiger Hound, again, which would be the sequel to Steel Tiger. And Operation Commando Hunt, which sounds like an NES game. Uh, Commando Hunt was actually the the prequel to Tiger Hound. Was it? Yeah. I don't know. It's a pre-sequel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And they specifically would be targeted during the Tet Offensive of 1968. Oh. Yeah, so the Tet Offensive was a series of large-scale attacks carried carried out by the Viet Cong, or as we're going to refer to them from here on out, the VC, because... It's easier that way. And the NVA, which is the North Vietnamese Army, against uh, the U.S. and South Vietnamese bases across South Vietnam. The communist forces numbered more than 85,000 troops. That's actually a pretty conservative estimate as to how many uh, NVA and VC troops were involved in this. Uh-huh. And they attacked the <laughs> they attacked uh, the forces of about 140,000 people. You know, mostly, obviously, South Vietnamese and Americans. And fucking shoved them back pretty good. Uh, the Tet Offensive was a, pr- a huge setback for the... Um, oh, yeah. For the, the war in Vietnam. They actually say that if, if, uh, if it wasn't for the Tet Offensive... We would have been out of there like three years earlier. Well, we probably would have, quote-unquote, won the war. Yeah. Because we actually were making headway. True. And we were had the Viet Cong pushed back. Yeah. Right. And the goddamn sappers show up in their black pajamas and start blowing shit up. Um, so, enough of the background. Let's get into what landed him on my radar in the first place. Okay. May 22nd, 1968. He's attending Mass. Uh, Catholic. Yeah. Didn't want to say obviously because no, you know, no, 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 obviously. It's from Texas, uh, Latino guy. They, you, you know, he's just, Catholic. You could have just stopped at Texas. <laughs> he's from the South. I don't know. Texas probably has a lot of Baptists and shit too. But he was this guy was a pretty hardcore Catholic. They're pretty quite Catholic yeah. Christian. Whatever. Then you get up into like Florida Panhandle and they got them guys shaking fucking snakes at people. Those are weird. Yeah, well, they, like they got a like a tent set up in some farmer's field. Yeah. Curing people's cancer by slapping them in the face. <laughs> You're cured. You got cancer. <laughs> Not anymore. Well, I think I might still. I laid hands on you. Yeah. You cured. Bitch, I put hands on you. <laughs> yeah, you hit me. But, Slap the cancer right out of you. But I still laid hands. So yeah. Yes, you're cured. Well, you think lay hands is like, oh, you touched your face or something. You need to get rid of it. No, this guy's just fucking paint brushing motherfuckers on the stage. <laughs> I still, <laughs> I still <laughs> call him that laying hands. Yeah. No. Throwing hands is what he was doing. <laughs> okay. So he's at mass and uh, obviously they've got a radio with, uh-huh. you know, with all the operations and stuff going on. And uh, here's the call. Come over the radio. Quote, get us the hell out of here. For God's sakes, get us out of here. Um, 
And this was from the 12th Special Forces Recon, and they needed help, and they needed all of it that they could fucking get at the time. They had stumbled into the hornet's nest, and when I say that, I mean they'd gotten themselves surrounded by somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand NVA troops. Mm. And this is a group of less than 20 dudes. Okay. So those numbers, they don't add up. The other thing that makes this a slightly tricky situation is that they weren't in Vietnam. They were in eastern Cambodia. Again, didn't technically go there. Uh, So Roy takes off from the chapel. He gets outside and he sees what remains of three Hueys that look like they've been run through an industrial-sized blender. Here's the thing. With, uh, with these guys, because he was also a Green Beret. They don't leave guys behind ever. Yeah. Ever. Mm-hmm. So Roy wasn't about to break that tradition. He was going to go bring his boys home. What he couldn't know was that every single man in that squad had either been killed or wounded already. So he hits the first chopper, <laughs> hitches a ride on the first one, headed back, you know. Um, on his way to the bird, he grabs his M16, a knife, and as many med kits as he could carry, thinking that, uh, you know, I'm going to help these guys. But what I really like to picture is that, like, as soon as that call came in, like, his eyes turned red, and he just started hearing Fortunate Son, like, in the back of his head. (laughs) 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 Yes. NVA killing mode activated. (laughs) Must kill Viet Cong. Um, So he climbs into the bird. Rotors wind up. They speed off. There there was no way in hell that he was going to hold off this many NVA, but he was going to do his his damnedest to get every single one of his guys out of there and make the Vietnamese regret ever attacking them in the first place. Uh Uh-huh. The helicopter circles the landing zone, uh, gets a good look at what's going on. His guys are pinned down hard. Uh, they've got entrenched machine guns, mortars, small arms. They are getting the piss pounded out of them. Yep. So with the sheer amount of enemy fire around his guys, he did something unthinkable. Grabs the pilot by the shoulder and says, put this goddamn bird down. Now. <laughs> so he put this goddamn bird down now. <laughs> and... Uh, um, he didn't put it too, down two seconds from now. He put, he it, put down. it down right yeah. fucking then. Yep. So I wanted to hold off until here, but he had earned himself a pretty kick-ass nickname. Okay. Um, before this, his uh, his guys would refer to him as Tango Mike Mike, which to them meant that mean Mexican. <laughs> so he had a fucking awesome nickname, and the NVA were about to find out why they called him that. Okay. So the pilot didn't fully put the bird down. Um, they usually didn't, because if you land, it takes a little bit of time to get back up. Of and course. helicopters get the crap shot out of them in yes. Vietnam. So he hovers it down to about six to seven feet. Roy hops out, hits the ground running. And as he's running, like immediately from the helicopter, he blows past like five or six NVA guys that were right there that he didn't even see. Uh-huh. And... Uh, they, they were like, what the fuck was the, that scene in Band of I'm Brothers? A, I'm a running. It's that scene in Band of Brothers yes. where Spears runs through fucking yeah. through the town. And they're like, what the hell? They're Except like, these. 
who the fuck is that? Except these guys weren't like, who the fuck was that? They're like, oh, we're going to shoot you. Um, and oh, as... they weren't thinking, oh, look, Hans is running back. No. Why? Oh, wait, that's not Hans. They were thinking, we're going to shoot this motherfucker in his green, in his green uniform. Uh, he took a series of 7.62 by 3.9 <laughs> rounds from an AK right into the back of his right leg. Um, gets himself up. Runs a couple more feet before he gets knocked back down by a grenade that chews a whole bunch of shit out of the back, out of his uh, back and neck. So he's been shot and he's been hit by a grenade. He's been on the ground for five fucking seconds. Okay. Tells you where the story's going. <laughs> so after realizing that he's now unkillable, he regains his foot <laughs> and charges 75 feet. I'm sorry, 75 yards towards his down guys with bullets in his leg and a grenade fucking blowing his back off. He arrives and finds an absolute horror show. Uh, four dead, eight wounded, including one guy that had gotten one of his eyes blown out and kept fighting. That's fucking hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, you, you only took one? Hmm, good thing I've got two. I've got a spare. Honestly, come on. How dare you only take yeah. one of my eyes? If you're going to shoot me, if you're going to shoot my eye out, motherfucker, you better get both of them, because <laughs> yeah. if I can still see, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you all going to die. Yeah. So, oh, where was I here? So he distrib- uh, distributed as much ammo as he could to the guys that could still fight, uh, administered morphine to those who were wounded, and obviously tried to do whatever he could with the dead, you know, collecting ammo from them, yep. handing it out. Um, while tending to the dying, he was on the radio when the command base started calling in artillery strikes against enemy positions surrounding them. So they're kind of winging it like, yeah, they're probably over there. Just fucking hucking artillery out yeah. there, seeing what happens, you know. So while the artillery's fallen, they've got a little bit of time. So Roy starts hauling guys back to the helicopter. Um, it's kind of unclear as to what trip it was. But while he was bringing one of the guys back, he shot again, this time in the stomach, which is not a good place to be shot. No. Uh, at this point in time, his M16 is completely dry. Piece of shit. So he pilfers a Chinese AK. And, he upgraded. Uh, kind of. <laughs> if it had been a Russian AK, that would have been an upgrade. Wow. I mean... It's still an upgrade from the M16 of this time. Well, no, 68, they, they'd figured some shit out by then. The ones in 65 were dog oh, shit. okay, yeah. So these All were right. like the A1. All right. So these ones weren't terrible. These were the better. Yeah. <laughs> the lesser of two evils yeah. for M16, so they would have had. Um, so, he again, he grabs his Chinese AK and starts throwing lead back towards the bad guys and gets his guy loaded into the chopper. With a gut full of bullets. Into the chopper. Yeah. On the next trip, he watched as the pilot was shot and killed, and the fucking Huey just <laughs> back into the ground from about 15 feet up. Uh, so uh, so he sank to his knees. He's uh, spitting up blood, and uh, the guy that he's got with him, he kind of sets down, rushes to the helicopter, and starts pulling the guys that he has just loaded into the helicopter back out because it's on fire, uh-huh. so he's pulling the already injured or further injured dead and pilot out of this helicopter. And uh, so he grabs up his radio, and he starts calling in airstrikes, and uh, when the attack helicopter came by, he starts signaling, uh, signaling for the enemy positions, and uh, he basically sets up a one-man defensive perimeter pr- to protect his guys. He's the only man on his feet at this point in time. Yeah. So he's firing his AK dry, 
He's got blood running into his eyes where he, so he can barely see. And uh, at this point he said, quote, I made the, I made the sign of the cross across my chest so often that my arms looked like an airplane propeller. (laughs) So he is praying like a motherfucker. Like, Hey buddy, you want to (laughs) help? Maybe some fucking lightning or something. That's Zeus. I think at that point in time, you're just asking for it from whoever's got it. (laughs) Bring it. Yeah. Some giant redhead comes down in a fucking cart being pulled by goats and just starts slamming Vietnamese heads in. (laughs) Damn, Thor's pretty fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he keeps up the fight until his second Huey rolled in. And uh, this one actually touched down and landed. And they start pulling some of these guys in. And he's loading them in as well. And he had to go back for one more guy. So he scoops him up and starts making his way back to the helicopter. He is shot. God only knows how many times chunks of shrapnel. So this is his final run back to the helicopter. An NVA soldier catches up with him, smashes him in the back of the head with a rifle. So Benavidez and the wounded guy obviously go down because he just got cracked in the head with a fucking rifle stock. Um, and the enemy soldier, knowing that this is probably the best chance he's going to have to kill possibly the toughest son of a bitch that's ever walked the earth, starts stabbing him with his, with his bayonet. So Roy is stabbed repeatedly. Um, uh, yeah, one time, the well, the last time he was stabbed, I should say, uh, it got caught in his hand. Like it went through his hand. Which was actually the opportunity that he was looking for. So he's got this, va- <laughs> this Vietnamese bayonet buried through his hand. Kind of rolls the rifle away from the guy and at the same time pulls him down and stabs this guy to death with his fucking knife. With his K-bar. He's got a rifle stuck through his hand and he's like, I got you, motherfucker. <laughs> Starts fucking shanking him. Um, so he gets up and loads the last of his men, who was actually the Vietnamese translator into the Huey and uh, he's almost like, as he's standing at the helicopter, he just collapses. So the men that had survived did what they could to try to pull him back in. And between all of them and the the other crew, they got him back in. He wasn't a small dude. He was a, he was a big guy. Yeah. Um, So they get him pulled back into the Huey and take off. Uh, So when the bird landed back at Loch Ninn 20 minutes later, the medics started offloading dead and injured men, including three NVA corpses that that Roy had loaded in just in case, you know, because you don't have time to go through their pockets for any kind of, you know, sensitive paperwork, materials, anything like that. Fuck it. We'll just take the whole thing. Chuck it in. Lock, stock and barrel. <laughs> Throw it in the fucking cart. Um, so among the dead that had been triaged and pronounced dead lay Roy Benavidez. As the medic is zipping up his body bag. Roy spits blood in his face and sits up. <laughs> I ain't dead yet, boy. Benavidez had spent six hours in hell and was wounded 37 times. I'm going to say that one more time. 37 goddamn times. Between bullets and shrapnel, stab wounds, 37 fucking times. That breaks down to about six injuries per hour for six hours. <laughs> So that's uh, one every 10 minutes, yeah. let's say. That's like horror movie stats for dead bodies. Yeah. So he, uh, whew. So for his trouble, he would spend over a year in the hospital. To hospital. He would spend over a year in the hospital to recover. Again. 
Yeah, again, he, he's pretty fond of hospitals. Round two. <laughs> so when asked what it was like to be a hero, he said, quote, I'm no hero. I was doing my duty, which uh, is I... like boilerplate. Like, <laughs> don't fucking talk to me about yeah. that. I was just doing my job. Yep. Which is kind of funny if you think about it. When somebody in the, the American or British military is like, no, nah, I was just doing my job. You're a hero. <laughs> Someone that was in the German army says that you're going to the fucking hanging. <laughs> you're gone. <young. laughs> just doing my job. Thanks. But there's a difference between I was just do I was doing my job and I was just doing my job. It's true. Yeah, I didn't want to gas those guys, but I was just doing my job. Very true. You know, perspective, I guess. Uh, so his commanding officer was worried that due to his injuries, he would he uh, he wouldn't live long enough to earn a medal of honor. Uh, so he suggested that the, uh, they award him a Distinguished Service Cross instead. So years later, February 24th, 1981, Ronald Reagan presents Roy Benavidez the Medal of Honor. So he accepts our nation's highest military award with two pieces of shrapnel still lodged in his heart and still had a punctured lung at the time. <laughs> this guy is a fucking cyborg. Um... Uh, I want. I really want to share a link to his Medal of Honor ceremony because it it's better to hear what he had to say in his words than to have one of us say it. Because just how he kind of says stuff, he's kind of funny. Okay. And you know, he kind of comes across as like a bumpkin, which you wouldn't expect from a guy that looks like him. He's <laughs> hey. like, oh no, he's a farm kid. Okay, I get it. Um. So Master Sergeant Roy Benavidez would pass away November 29th, ninth, nineteen ninety eight, at the age of sixty three from respiratory failure and complications from diabetes. No shit. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So, so the fucking Viet Cong can't kill him, but diabetes got him. The diabetes. But you know what, the, to me, that means? He probably went back and was like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to eat whatever I want. Probably. This is all bonus time. I should be dead yeah. already. So this is just, this is bonus. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Fuck him. Um... So in re actually in, uh, in one of the reasons that I picked him is because in recent years there's been a, a push to change the name of Fort Hood, which is in Kylene, Texas, to Fort Benavides. The fort's current name is that of a Confederate general. So why not rename it to an actual American hero? That'd be fucking awesome. But uh, Fort Hood's also kind of like not a great place to be because there's like there was a, a period there where there was just bodies just showing up. There was a serial killer in the area or whatever, and was targeting people in the military. Yeah, yeah but General Hood, though, was a fucking badass. Too. Yeah. He was kind of a... But again, it's like, it's, but... the sa- it's the same with the statues. Why are you putting up statues for people that lost a fucking war? Why name it, it after that? He's a loser. Fuck him. That's how it goes, man. You know? So that's, uh, that's Roy Benavides. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> So I wanted to actually read. So we had mentioned that there was a. I mentioned that there's a Medal of Honor, um, and that Medal of Honor was awarded to uh, Robert Stryker. No shit. Yeah. Okay, so the guy that that they kind of had like a yeah friendly rivalry kind yeah. of. This was Specialist Fourth Class Robert Francis Stryker. Specialist. Yep. Okay, so he was a. Uh... That's before you hit sergeant, an E4. right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, this happened on the same day that uh, Pula lost his life in the same place. Um, 
And what he was doing was, as his unit was coming under the fire, a sudden hailfire of rocket, automatic weapons fire, small arms fire from the enemy forces, um, he reacted quickly and fired into the enemy position with his grenade launcher. <laughs> During and, and those were still like the the rifle mounted ones yep. where you put it on the barrel and you had like a fucking dummy round and fired it that yep. way. So during Damn. The, uh well well no cuz they did have uh they did have uh little ones too. In in Korea? No, this is uh oh Vietnam. Vietnam. Oh, 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 so it could have been like a uh uh, uh fuck was it like a M79, like the one that had, like, the shotgun barrel. Yeah. 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 So... It was called him a China Lake in all the Call of Duty games. Yep. Yeah, those guys, yeah. Um, so... He launched his grenade... Uh, rocket launcher... Grenade launcher into that. And during the devastating exchange of fire, Specialist 4th Class Striker detected uh, enemy elements attempting to encircle his company and isolate it from the main body of the friendly force. Undaunted by the enemy machine gun and small arms fire, Specialist 4th Class Striker repeatedly fired grenades into the trees, killing enemy snipers and enabling his comrades to uh, sever the attempted encirclement. As the battle continued, Specialist 4th Class Striker observed several wounded members of his squad in the killing zone of an enemy Claymore mine. Uh, With complete disregard for his safety, he threw himself upon the mine as it detonated, Ugh. he was mortally wounded by his, uh, as his body absorbed the blast and shielded his comrades from the explosion. His unselfish actions were responsible for saving the lives of at least six of his fellow soldiers. Holy shit! Specialist Fourth Class Striker's great uh, personal bravery was in keeping with the highest tradition of the military service and reflected reflects great credit upon himself, his unit, and the United States Army. So that is so. why, Jesus. But I mean, like I said, there. Uh, you know, he could have been not the only one to receive it that day. It could have been, you know, the Pula cook. Cause, I mean, he and that's... was because Pula was actually doing the same exact thing, but he was like, "Come on, boys! Come on, boys!" And this guy was like, "I'm gonna fucking keep firing off because he probably saw what Pula was doing." I was like, okay, I'm going to try to give him time right. to do what he needs to do. And then, you know, because I get the Sarge to, you know, time, I'm going to keep firing these at these fuckers. And Pula was like, okay, probably, you know, probably saw him. I was like, all right, all right. So I'm going to get this guy's back. Well, then he kept going up, kept going up. Yeah. You know, and bringing guys back and encouraging guys to fire and – just fucking it's two sides of the same coin you couldn't have had one without the other yeah you know so yeah i'm with you there they both probably both no probably they both earned it i would say so. they both should have been awarded it but but hey you know i would say that uh probably neither one of them was probably like they weren't doing it for the fucking metal yeah they probably either either (laughs) both of them probably like you know what i don't really care no they no you know he probably was like you know what I'm not here for the fucking, for the metal. I'm not here for anything else. You know, Pula was definitely there. Just I'm because... here to make sure I don't fucking, I can get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And you know? also to. 
to get these guys out of here. Get his, you know, get make sure his son possibly you know yeah, survives for sure. So that, uh, yeah. So that's our that's our badasses. You know, you know. I just had two. a I just had a thought. What's that? <laughs> we could just do another podcast, just doing badasses. We probably could. Probably good. I mean, I've got a list of about 160 of them. So. <laughs> well, if you guys think that's a good idea, yeah. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert! I I kind of had a little. I was gonna start a side project, kind of doing that, and I was like, I don't want to do this by myself. I don't like talking to myself. It doesn't sound right. Oh, I mean, if you guys want us to do something like that, you know, more like to the point of something, you know, where you know what it's gonna be about every single week. I think we could do that. We probably could do that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, with that said, if you're in the mood for a pair of headphones, earbuds, Bluetooth speaker, anything like that, look no further than studio.com. Go check them out at studio.com. And when you find what you want, because I know you will, put your stuff in your basket, go to checkout, put the promo code of DarkWindows15 in to get 15% off your entire purchase. Let me let me show you a ting. When a I ting? said when I said I had an idea going, I mean, ah, I've got a. <laughs> uh huh. There may potentially already be music. <laughs> you know. Okay. And uh, we can talk further off air about how that would work, but. So uh, yeah, and you can also go into a darkwindowspod.com. <laughs> Fuck you, son of a bitch. Uh, you can go there. You can go uh, from there. You can actually find a link to our um, our studio account our, our friends at studio and get some headphones you can also find links to age of radio which is the network that we're on which has something for everybody you can find your next favorite podcast on age of radio if you're looking for you know what whatever you're looking for Anything. they got it pretty much um you can find links to our social media we are dark windows podcast on facebook we are dark windows pod on instagram and twitter um i think we have links to our personal stuff up there I know. Uh, my name is Kevin Carlton. You can find me on Facebook. I'm not hard to find. Uh, Instagram, I am now. <laughs> I changed my Instagram handle because I was like, you know what? This is going to be more fun. It's Kevin Sucks at Stuff. It's my ah, new Instagram handle. Kevin Sucks at Stuff. Yep. Because pretty much everything I post on there, I'm like, this is stuff I like doing, but I'm not real good at it. So gotcha. Kevin Sucks at Stuff. Um, gotcha. So what's yours? Uh, I'm Kevin Hire. I'm one of the other Kevins that you see on there, you know. Yeah, I see. You'll find both of us through the yeah. Facebook page. Uh, I don't know what my Instagram one is. You but fucking it's there. dickhead! Hold on, <laughs> I really don't. Jesus, you're terrible at this shit. I don't. I don't really know. All I do is post it. I don't know if it's Speedy Eight Hundred Two. It is Speedy Eight Hundred Two. Ah, you fucking jerk off. Yes, that's what it is. See, I knew it. So, uh, yeah. And uh, you could also you can email us at Dark Windows pod at gmail.com and also you can find us on every pretty much every single source that you can download a podcast on so, we're on a bunch of them we're yeah. on fucking audible dude yeah and if you can rate if you can review do there, it there's a few where you can leave reviews it's like apple audible and i want to say Podbean. you can review but um yeah do it but just be aware if you write a bad one and we don't like it. Oh, 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 if you oh. write a good one and we like it, we're going to read it on the show too. But if you write one that's like where you just like nitpick little things, we're going to fucking destroy you. 
Like, but if, if you leave, if leave. this is a bad one, and and we're like, okay, that's. I mean, we don't really like it, but we're gonna use it for something. Like, tried it once. Oh, I love that one. That's my favorite review you know, we've ever got. Yeah, but Three it's stars, like tried it once, won't again. If you leave us a review, like uh, like a negative review, you know, these guys stumble, they talk over each other, this that the. Constructive criticism, I get. If you leave us a review that's like these guys can't read, they're fucking stupid. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to fucking eviscerate you, and I'm going to use a really dumb voice while I do it, because it's fun. So wow. fuck you. Using big words there. Yes. Eviscerate. That's fancy talk for rip your balls off or guts. I don't know. I'm going to rip, rip your guts off. That's not a thing. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna rip your guts off. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. But if you start shit on the Facebook page. We don't have to do anything. Exactly. We got the crew. <laughs> <laughs> we have our disciples. <laughs> they will fuck you up for us. <laughs> anyway, until next time. Just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. Do you hear helicopters? I think we should play some music. <laughs> Thank you.